1: Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. We
0: have rankings, debates, plus did Scott White know that saves were a category in his Tout Wars draft last night? Find out next on Fantasy Baseball Today. Welcome in Frank Stanfield, joined as always by Chris Towers and Scotty Dubbs. I've been doing too many Fantasy Baseball Today and Fives, so I just kind of like merged those intros right now. I just realized I did a cold open, but no worries. We're here, and we have a lot to talk about, including uh, another Carlos Carrasco update Everything else I mentioned thus far and a recording of Chris singing like Lady Gaga, which was just phenomenal. If you follow Chris on Twitter, you've probably already seen it, but it was so great. Chris, do not, they call that a... Not,
1: not that much like Lady Gaga, though, though quite a bit like Bradley <laughs> Cooper. The, the- I can Bradley do the Cooper's Bradley Cooper drama. voice for sure.
3: Yeah. The, the Lady Gaga voice, a little more difficult, uh, a little <laughs> bit out of my
0: range. Chris, is that what they call a, a falsetto? Is that what you were doing there? That was definitely, it was definitely a falsetto, yeah. <laughs> you can tell I don't know much about my uh, my musical terminology, but looking forward to that a little bit later on. It's going to be a lot of fun. Scott, what's going on, man? Uh, true story, Scott had to call me last night to talk about his Tower Wars team, which I appreciate. That means, you know, yeah. I've become uh, a shoulder to lean on for Scotty. So Wow.
1: I had wow. to decompress. I had to decompress. I'm
0: glad you got the. Uh, I'm glad you got the. Uh,
1: the well, he, that you were looking for, Scott. He, he, no, he it's, text, fine. it's fine. He texted I, me. He texted no, it's, me. It's so fine. I took it it's as fine. an open invitation.
2: I to, to chat fine. him up
1: for 15 minutes about that's my fine.
3: team. I, I hate talking. I I don't even like having friends. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's uh,
3: good.
0: If you're wondering what we're talking about, Scott had his Tower Wars draft last night, which is an industry. A- analyst league, expert league, 15-team, uh, 5x5 five five Roto. There are a bunch of different uh, Tout Wars leagues. So if you hear more than one, Chris is in one that had a wacky type of uh, scoring format in Roto. And um, this was another one that, that Scott is in, and he is the defending champion, 5x5 five five Roto, with OBP instead of batting average, 15 teams 15. that I mentioned. And mm-hmm. um, Scott had the eighth pick. Before we actually get into your takeaways from the draft, someone emailed in earlier, Scott, and asked, why did you choose the 8th pick instead of the first overall pick? So, let's start there.
1: Well, Frank, I don't know why... Uh, okay, so I had the first choice of what pick to take, and I chose to pick 8th. I got the first choice because I am the defending champion. And um, uh, my, my philosophy on that is usually, like if, if you value a bunch of players more or less the same, then take the pick at the end of that run of players. So I don't know why you would pick first. Um, I also don't love picking on the end in general because it it uh, it requires you to forecast so far ahead that you end up reaching a lot of times. You end up missing out on important runs because it's just so long in between those those back to back picks you make. So I, I generally prefer to pick in the middle. But mostly it was about how much who, who I thought who I thought I'd get in the first round and and who I thought I'd get in the second round and. Um, I I don't know. It's interesting that they asked it that way because after I picked 8th, like the next few people who got to pick, they basically just picked that order, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th. So I I was confused why they did that, but ultimately I'm not happy with how picking 8th worked because things did not go, things did not play out like I planned for them to. I would say at least the first two
0: rounds played out the way that you would want a draft no, to work out. No,
1: it really didn't. It really didn't. Let me tell you why. I I picked eight thinking, okay, I want one of the big three pitchers. Shane Bieber's obviously my first choice, but you know most people, he'd be the third of those three. Fine. Uh, if for some reason... All three of them went in the first eight picks. That's fine too. I'd get Mike Trapp, right? That's obviously not a bad way to start the draft. And then the second round, I'd still get another ace like you, Darvish or Trevor Bauer. That that would have been fine with me too. Gets to the eighth pick and nobody's picked a pitcher yet. So I, I'm still taking Shane Bieber because my, he's my top ranked pitcher, right? But like, it, it meant I I took Shane Bieber earlier than he was supposed to go relative to those other two pitchers. So it, it just it was just inefficient in how that played out.
0: And I do appreciate that you stuck uh, by your rankings there because when it got to your pick, I was like, oh man, Jacob deGrom, no brainer. And then I was like, but wait, Scott has Bieber ranked as his number one pitcher. So is he actually going to do it? And you did. So I appreciate that you, uh, you know, the advice that you give people is is what you use yourself. So Scott had the eighth overall pick and he wound up taking Shane Bieber in the first round there. I will say just in terms of industry leagues, what you'll see a lot of the times in, in these fantasy baseball drafts is, It's a lot like in fantasy football where in industry or expert leagues where quarterbacks just fall way further than you're used to seeing them. And it's kind of the same thing uh, with starting pitching, at least early on in this draft. So, uh, Scott, I'll just kind of hand it over to you, and you can say as much as you want. I've got some questions, but um, basically, you started with two pitchers, and then uh, Uh, (laughs) your your draft started in the third round.
1: Yeah, so a couple things threw me in this draft. One by virtue of being able to pick where I picked, it forced me to game plan a little more than I probably would going into most drafts where, you know, I'm assigned to to pick a certain place and whoever's available there is who I'll take, you know? But this, because because I got to choose where to pick, I was thinking ahead to second round, third round, but what might that look like if I picked here versus here? And, um... Like I said, it didn't go that way. Beginning with that very first pick, have it, you know? It, it looks like I reached for Shane Bieber because those two other starting pitchers that everybody would take ahead of Bieber were still there. Uh, second round pick was fine, taking Nola. Okay, I, I figured I'd take a starting pitcher in the second round either way, whether I got Bieber in the first round or got Trout in the first round. But what really killed me and what really changed the direction of my entire entire draft was the third pick. Where anybody who's been listening to our podcast this whole preseason knows in the third round, I anticipate getting one of Corey Seager, Alex Bregman, and Anthony Rendon. And while I knew it was a possibility that this would be the one draft where that didn't work out, even though they normally fall to the third, sometimes even the fourth, of course I knew that was a possibility. I I wasn't really planning for it, and I thought if it did happen, it meant somebody else obvious would fall um and i'd take the obvious player who fell but that's not what happened at all and, and in fact that gets to the other thing that threw me with this draft the other thing that threw me with this draft was that i e- everybody picked so fast i've never seen anything like it it was a minute long timer but everybody was making their picks like within 10 seconds to the point that the the live radio program they were doing as this was going on they they had to they had to, we had to take a 10 minute break halfway through just so they could catch up to us. Uh, like the picks were going so fast, which, you know, a, a minute is enough time to pick. I'm not used to not having a minute timer to make a pick, but I'm used to in between my picks having enough time to uh, really take inventory of what's still available, you know, so that I, I'm making sure I'm not overlooking anybody. And there were times in this draft where it got back to me, even though I'm picking right in the middle, it got back to me so fast that. I, I kind of had to make a split decision with, it, it, and there and and like I'd notice, oh, that guy was still out there, and I didn't even have a chance to consider him because it was moving so fast, and that really started with the third round. So Corey Seager went off the board. Uh, Bregman and Rendon both went off in round two. It being an OBP league, maybe I should have anticipated that, but they were gone in round two, much less round three. Seager was still around longer. Four picks before I was up in round three, Seeger went off the board to Rudy Gamble of Rasball, who I consider my nemesis in this league. And so I, I had to fire off a tweet about that, obviously. Thinking, you know, four picks till I pick, that's roughly four minutes till I have to pick. But in the time it took me to fire off that tweet with everybody picking so fast, I look up after my tweet's out and 25 seconds are left. And obviously I have no idea who to take in round three because this hasn't gone according to plan. So, fortunately, I was keeping up with my tiers. I crossed up those last three names, and Whit Merrifield jumped out as the last of his tier. You know, weak position, stolen base scarcity. Okay, I take Merrifield. I I really don't have time to debate it longer than that. Adalberto Mondesi was still out there. So, like, if I'm going to sell, like, if I'm going to make the Steels play in round three, like, that's the guy to do it with. I understand it's an OBP league, and and Merrifield's going to have, like, Mondesi's OBP is going to be terrible, even if he hits well. Uh, but Mary Fields, you know, it's not like he's an OBP standout. Um, I probably should have gone Mondesi. And, and, you know, that became increasingly obvious when in round seven, Cattell Marte was there. Again, 15-team league. Cattell Marte in round seven. I felt like I had to take advantage of that opportunity. So I also got Dylan Moore. I also got Jorge Polanga. Like, I have no shortage of second basemen. Second ba- filling second base was not a problem for me. Uh, So, beginning my draft, pitcher-pitcher, and then my first hitter, Whit Merrifield, it put me in such a hole power-wise that I had to devote a lot of the next few picks to addressing that power need. And I, I I feel like I'm one big pitcher short because of that. One big pitcher short. I had to take Luke Voigt in round five, Nick Castellanos in round six. Marte in round seven, Carlos Correa, because there was a shortstop run that maybe I could have missed out on. Maybe maybe I could have skipped, I mean, if I had already taken Mondesi. So, Carlos Correa in round eight. So, I end up with Bieber in round one, Nola in round two, Kenta Maeda in round four, and then my fourth pitcher is Dylan Bundy in round nine. Not terrible, but I I prefer Bundy as like a number five versus a number four. Uh, Now like you look at my team on paper compared to everybody else's, my pitching staff looks like the best. I mean, I, I won this league by dominating the pitching categories last year and all except for saves. I'm in line to do that again, but that's just on paper. Right. And and obviously, you know, if one of those top three starters, Bieber, Nola, Kinta goes down as starting pitchers are liable to do, then suddenly I don't have the most dominant pitching staff anymore. And I probably won't be in a position to trade from excess there, which is something I want to be in a position to do. Uh, so you know, it could go fine. I just wish I had one one more big arm in there. I probably should bring up the topic of not dra- not drafting a close. We've already spent 15 minutes on this, but I didn't draft a closer. <laughs> um, wasn't exactly by design, but we talked about this on the podcast before, where I. I knew I'd be okay with it if it came to that. I didn't want to invest in closer. I'd only get cheapies like Will Smith and Amir Garrett and who else? Joaquim Soria, Daniel Bard, guys like that. And it just it just never worked out. But I actually went back and looked. I, I finished first in saves in this league last year. And the only draft pick of mine that made a real contribution to saves was Brandon Kinsler. It wasn't even Mark Melanson. It was Brandon Kinsler. Uh, and just over the course of those two months, I picked up Trevor Rosenthal... I picked up, uh, I'm forgetting, Stefan Crichton, Greg Holland. A couple times I picked up Greg Holland, and I ended up winning saves. And that was was addressing that over the course of two months. Now, this year I have six months to do it, presumably. So, like, maybe I'm just getting cocky because it worked out so well last year, but I, I think I can do that again. I think I can go in without drafting any saves and at least be competitive in the category, not necessarily win it.
0: And I do appreciate that you have four Yankees on your team, too, Scott. So you already see the the Frank effect on on your Tout Wars team, which, again, kudos, man. I, I really do appreciate that. Gary Sanchez, I will just say, I thought was one of your best value picks. Not just saying that, but the 13th round of a 15-team league, I thought that that was really, really good value as well. So you can find all these results over on CBSports.com. Scott had a write-up about you know, what he did in this draft. You can find the the draft results. There as well, I'll put the draft results in the uh, podcast description here for those that are listening so you can follow along with uh, what we were just talking about. Before we get to our email of the day, haven't done one of those in a while, I did just want to promote, again, our Fantasy Baseball Today Draft Prep Guide is now live, and the link where you could find it, cbssports.com slash fbbdraftkit. Uh, you can download it, you punch in your email, they'll send it to you. It's your one-stop shop to help you dominate your drafts, sleepers, breakouts, busts, rankings, all tier strategies, analysis, and it's all written by us, mostly Scott and Chris, but uh, so, some some of my analysis in there as well. Again, the link for that is cbssports.com slash FBB Draft Kit, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For those that are watching, we appreciate you, but you can, uh, for those that are listening, and if you want to watch us live, we usually... We usually go live around ten 15. We've been pushing it to like 10, 30 p.m. Eastern time, Sunday through Thursdays. Uh, and that'll be the, um, those will be the days that we do it in season as well. It'll be even later in season because we've got to wait for uh, some games to go final there. So youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. Make sure to join our Facebook group as well. Facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today. Email of the day. This one came from Ryan. I was listening to the baseball tonight podcast and Buster only is talking about a new baseball, potentially having a massive impact on the game, increasing strikeouts and decreasing hitter sets. What do you know about this and how will it change how you value players in fantasy baseball? And I retweeted a tweet from Alden Gonzalez who covers baseball for ESPN. And yesterday he said, Padres starter Blake Snell has noticed the laces are thicker in the new baseball allowing him to dig in his fingers so he can more easily throw breaking balls. He also noticed fly balls are not carrying as much as they might have previously. Quote, it's definitely a different ball that came from Padre starter
1: Blake Snell. Chris. Wait, have they been using the balls in spring training? Because I was under the impression they weren't.
3: I, I believe this is called confirmation bias. Ooh. Uh, and I... I I mean, look. I don't know. I haven't held the balls. I don't. I don't know what they're like. I, I have no idea. Blake Snell is much more infinitely, intimately, intimately uh, acquainted with them. But from everything that I understand, spring training balls are always the previous year's uh, leftovers, leftover batch. Um, sometimes they're from the World Series. Sometimes they're from the regular season. Um, so unless they're doing things differently this season and I have not seen it reported that they are, uh, my understanding was this is the same baseball from 2020 and they won't get the new balls in play until uh, the start of the season.
0: yeah, I think it's kind of I think it might be up in the air right now, Chris because I was watching a game recently and they were talking about how they might have already started mixing them in like a lot of the balls that they're using now are leftovers from last year, but they've already start they they might have already started mixing in some of the new balls as well. So, I guess that's kind of up in the air. I mean, I yeah. I don't think we should take this as yeah. nothing. I mean, if it if it is actually a different ball, Chris. Well, oh, it's in,
1: there's it, it will be a different ball during the regular season.
0: Yeah. Has that and accounted the, that, for has that been accounted for in
1: any of our rankings? Well, I don't know. Don't know what the effect's going to be. In theory, yeah. yes. Right. I mean, they deadened the ball. They made it less bouncy. But they also made it a little lighter, which is going to help it carry more. Uh, so what will the uh, those two how will those two um, factors counterbalance it? Uh, nobody can really say for sure. I mean it was first reported I think in January you know Saras and, and Ken Rosenthal combined for an article on uh, on the athletic. Um, and in it it was speculated that it would return to, 20 2017 standards, I think, is what they said, which was the first jump, and then there was a second jump in 2019. Right, it was um, midway
3: through 2018.
1: Okay, so the first jump was midway through 2016, and that's that's really that was really the biggest transformation where you saw the the little middle infielders all become 20 homer guys. Um, was was with that first jump, and and that's what they were speculating it would return to. But that's speculation too. I mean, <laughs> theoretically, it could go back to 2014 where you had 11 guys hit 30 home runs in the whole league. We just we just don't know until we until we see it playing out. So I I I, I don't want to guess with my rankings. You know, like I'd rather reassess than guess.
0: Yeah, and and we can do that once the season starts, maybe a month in, and see how. Things are trending statistically, so we'll keep you updated on that. And I think you know we have talked about this a little bit and how some of those middle infielders could see their power numbers dip. It's part of the reason why we are worried about the power for someone like Kevin Biggio. Uh, So they have this tab on baseballsavant.com where you can look at average home run distance. Anyone who has a lower average home run distance from last year or the past couple of years, you might want to devalue them a little bit. And guys that we know hit just absolute bombs, Pete Alonso comes to mind, Matt Olsen, guys that just hit the ball extremely hard, they're probably still going to be really safe for power. So uh, just keep those things in mind when it comes to this new baseball. Let's hit some news and notes before we get to uh, these rankings debates that I have. Uh, another day, more Carlos Carrasco news. Mets manager Luis Rojas said on Wednesday that Carrasco is dealing with some soreness in his elbow and won't throw for several days My initial reaction was that the sky was falling. I was ripping my hair out. Uh, I almost said a bad word on Twitter, and and Scott came to my rescue there, so appreciate that. Um, (laughs) But a a gentleman named Caleb Phillips actually responded to my tweet and and sent me an article about how Carrasco has dealt with this same thing in the past. In spring training, around this time, I think it was mid-March of last year, where he deals with elbow inflammation. So it might just be a thing for Carrasco. We had the report from yesterday that he's late in arriving to camp because of uh, some medical procedures because he had leukemia. So, Scott, at at what point do we start to lower Carrasco in the rankings? Because I think we all like him, but this is pretty
1: worrisome. He's already a guy who slips beyond what I think he should, so if this causes him to slip further, I'm going to be very excited to draft him. So I'm not that worried. I mean, I I do remember him having past instances of this. You know, you're ramping, you start ramping up for spring training. It it stands to reason there's going to be soreness. I'm surprised we haven't heard about it for more pitchers yet. I haven't heard any talk of him going in for like an MRI or anything. So it doesn't, it doesn't sound like anything to really worry about. I mean, uh, obviously, it'll make you second guess when you go to pull the trigger on him in the draft room. I, I think that's understandable, but. You know, stay level, level-headed with it. It's just, it's just soreness, as far as we know, and soreness is to be expected.
0: Astros pitching prospect Forrest Whitley will undergo Tommy John surgery. He will miss all of this season and likely part of next season as well. Plus, the last time we saw him pitch, well, we didn't actually see him, but someone did in the minors back in 2019. He had an ERA over seven, so he wasn't very good. Chris, what does this mean for Forrest Whitley's dynasty value? It's not good. I mean, <laughs> th-
3: this is a guy who. Uh, what was it? Are, are we going back to 2018, where we were expecting him to get called up? Is my timing on that correct? That's there the was la- a time when he
1: was the best pitching prospect. Yeah, 28. It feels, so, so feels longer I, I, ago than 2018.
3: I mean, he made it to Double A in 2017, huh. uh, and in 2018 he was def- he only made uh, eight starts that season. And he was definitely like a weekly feature or bi-weekly uh, feature in Scott's prospects watch call. We were expecting Forrest Whitley to get called up any time then. Um, mm. Now we're not going to see him until 2022 and probably not until, you know, a little bit after the 2022 season gets started. That's yeah. Less than ideal, but he'll still only be 24 years old. Um, you know, it's starting to feel a little Alex Reyes-ish. But I'm starting to get excited about Alex Reyes again. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, this season. He's he's thrown really well so far in spring. So, it doesn't close the book on him, but this is there is no such thing as, as a pitching prospect. That is the uh that is the phrase tin step is the way we say it and you in Dynasty, it's really never all that great of an idea to invest in the 19-year-old pitcher who's tearing up high A. Sometimes it works out, but those guys flame flame out harder than any other type of prospect.
0: Sky, would you try to acquire Farce Whitley for pennies on the dollar if you could right
1: now in a Dynasty is league? Penny, is it pennies on the dollar? Yeah. I mean, he's... I, I'm normally going to give a pass to a pitcher who has Tommy John surgery just because it's... it's it's so common, and, and the track record of pitchers who return from it is, is you know, pretty strong. Pretty strong Then picking up where they left off. It's not 100%, but it's pretty strong. Uh, so if it's pennies on the dollar, sure. I, I imagine, as of right now, he'll be in my top 100 prospects, again, going into next season. And it's important to remember, like, Lucas Giolito is a good example. He himself was, at one point, the top pitching prospect in baseball and looked like he was a total dud. And then he figured it out later on. And that could happen with Forrest Whitley too. So as as long as it as long as we have reason to believe talent is still there, then you shouldn't in a dynasty from a dynasty's perspective, you shouldn't entirely give up on it.
0: From
3: and, when, and that oh sorry. Go ahead, Chris. The uh, the there's no such thing as a pitching prospect thing. You know, that works both ways. It also means that guys who you think are finished are never quite finished. You know, they, they can figure it out. Um, it's, you know, not just about the volatility of starting pitching in a bad way. It's also just these guys are unpredictable.
0: From one pitching prospect to another, Marlon's starting pitcher, Sixto Sanchez, will have an innings limit this season. Sanchez has been, uh, delayed getting to camp following a false positive COVID test. Uh, and there has been talk that he will not be ready for opening day. So I hit up my buddy, Craig Mish, and, um, he reported that the innings limit is likely to be around 150, which I don't really think that's much of a limit anyway for young starting pitchers. Yeah. There's probably going to be a lot of pitchers around that range anyway. But he also yeah. told me that Sixto Sanchez uh, will not be ready to pitch uh, in season until April 12th, which would be the Marlins' 10th game of the season, and that will come against the Atlanta Braves. So I don't think it really changes much, but for the first couple of weeks, we might not have Sixto Sanchez out there.
3: Yeah, I. I this is... Like The 150 innings limit is not news to me. Right. Like they had never said that, but I'm working under the assumption that, looking at my rankings, Tristan McKenzie, maybe Tyler Malley, uh, Shohei Otani, Julio Urias, uh, Lance McCullers maybe, Denelson Lamette, Pablo Lopez, Jesus Lazardo. There's a lot of guys who I would be shocked if they threw more than 150 innings, even if they stay healthy. That's just the reality of the... Tyler Glass now, I would be pretty Mm. surprised if Tyler Glass now throws more than 150 innings. So that's just the reality of the situation that we're facing. But, you know, it makes those guys less valuable relative to the guys who will throw 200 innings, which, you know, might only be one person this year, but maybe there's like eight or 10 who could actually do it conceivably but it makes them more valuable than a 150-inning pitcher would normally be because the total number of innings that you're going to have on your Roto team, uh, that denominator, is going to be lower than any other year.
0: Joey Votto, Red's first baseman, has tested positive for COVID. He'll be away from the team for at least 10 days while he waits to clear MLB's COVID protocols. We have had some people email in and ask how we are handling COVID for this season. So, Scott, are we doing anything differently from last year, should we carry over some of those things that we did? Should we include more IL spots? Because there are inevitably going to be positive COVID tests this season. Uh, what happens if a player tests positive midweek? Should you be able to sub that player out? What do you think, Scott?
1: I ha- I actually haven't thought about that so much. Um, I I never have a problem with having more IL spots. I, Tal-, my, Tal Wars has infinite IL spots, and I haven't noticed really a negative impact for that. So I'm, I'm always in favor of that. If you, if you know, if you want to use the COVID thing as an excuse for it, that's fine.
3: Yeah. It's still been a significant issue for the NBA so far this season. And, you know, I would guess, you know, you listen to like public health officials and it sounds like maybe, you know, may I saw today. They're expecting like may will be when everybody is eligible to get the vaccine in New York. So you figure, you know, mm-hmm. herd, imu- herd immunity shouldn't be that far after that. Um,
1: right. Now, that's that's so, important, too, because like, there it may be an issue at the start of the season, but as yeah. the season plays out, it'll become less of an issue to the point that yeah. it's almost no issue, I would suspect. Yeah,
3: that, that's... I, I think it'll probably... If it's an issue, and it will be at some points, it shouldn't be by July.
0: Mm. Yeah. Cross your fingers. We're all hoping that sooner... Uh, sooner the better that things get back to normal in the world and in Major League Baseball. Luke Voigt was scratched from Tuesday's Grapefruit League uh, lineup due to right knee soreness. But manager Aaron Boone wasn't too concerned
1: about the issue. So we'll see what happens with Luke Voigt. He got us orthotics, right? Was that something we talked about? Did he get orthotics this offseason for the yep, feet? Yep. Because yep. you sure think, did. you know, I had to get orthotics because of uh, recurring ankle pain because of... My feet it turns out, so you know, I just wonder sore knees, I don't know, maybe it's entirely unrelated, but it crossed my mind
0: yeah, I mean it was part of the reason why, at least early on in the draft season i was I was fading void for a little bit, but See what happens there. Astros manager Dusty Baker said Wednesday that Miles Straw and Carlos Correa are the leading candidates to begin the season as the leadoff hitter. Obviously, as the Miles Straw podcast here in 2021, we were pretty excited <laughs> about that possibility for him. Carlos Correa is pretty weird. It doesn't really strike me as a prototypical leadoff hitter. I thought maybe Altuve would be in that mix, even Alex Bregman because he walks so much. But
3: he's not that different from George Springer at this point in their careers.
0: Correa? Yeah.
3: He doesn't walk as probably much. probably doesn't walk quite as much, yeah. but you're still probably... I mean, if if he hits, he's going to have like a 370 on base percentage probably.
0: True. Fair enough. So, um, yeah, Correa. I mean, if he leads off, he'll give you more runs scored, but will likely sacrifice some RBI for those who play in points leagues, uh, for those who play in roto leagues. But in points leagues, you'll, you'll get more plate appearances. So um, yep. that can help Carlos Correa. If you are watching on the video side, don't go anywhere. If you are listening to the podcast, we are going to take a quick break. But when we return, we have an update on our listener leaks.
2: Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master new skill.
1: Visit roberthalf.com today.
0: So Chris asked for some Joey Gallo lyrics to cover the song Shallow from A Star Is Born. And we said we would give away a spot in the podcast league to the best lyrics that we received. And uh, we got a bunch. And I really do appreciate them all. But the winner and the one that Chris ultimately went with were the lyrics from Sean Millerick? I hope I got your Mil-rick? name right. Yeah. Millerick? question mark. Uh, yeah, so the lyrics you sent in, uh Chris went on to sing them, and um this is his best Lady Gaga impression. So please, enjoy.
3: You're falling In all the good times You're still a bargain In this range You'll only bust if you run Scouts of the deep end join Chris and I have His numbers will stand. The real life, Chris Davis. Why'd we trade a Just draft your weekend. Oh, now. Kill Kill up, up yellow, yellow. gallo, gallo. <laughs> Just, Just draft, draft yellow, yellow. gallo,
1: Oh man, Chris is probably disappointed you queued up that part of the song. (laughs) Like, he he actually sings well at the beginning when he's doing the male part, you know.
0: There was no chance that I was going to give him the Bradley Cooper part, like 100%. That's fair. That's fair. It just,
3: you started right at like, I really just like whiff on that first note. Yeah, you
0: butchered that Um, one for sure.
3: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, no, it was it was fun. That's how I spent my morning today. My wife, uh, my wife went out to the to the doctor at the apartment by myself. So, so that was how I spent my morning.
0: Oh man, apologies, I, I can o- apologies to my neighbors. I, I was just about to say, I can only wonder what your neighbors were thinking because <laughs> that must have uh, that must have been something. And for anyone who just listened to that, or if you're watching and you heard it. That song will be stuck in your head for at least the next twenty-four hours. So <laughs> sure. enjoy, because I've been singing yep. it all day long. <laughs> so uh, great work Frank, there! From I- yep. Oh, go ahead. I
3: want. I want to go back to that discussion of the baseball and spring training, but whenever you're ready.
0: Oh yeah, I was. I was just going to say thanks again to, to Sean and and yes, you thank for you, doing Sean. That. So uh, that yeah. was excellent. If you have an update on the baseball, go ahead, Chris. Uh, it's not an
3: update on the baseball so much as just. So I went back and looked at spring training stats. And obviously, we're only, you know, 10 days in or whatever. But um, spring training stats for 2021 through 2016, I took 2020 out because it was just weird. And, you know, we don't know uh, what the impact was. But um, I did total plate appearances minus strikeouts divided by or home runs divided by that. So just the share of balls in play that were home runs or balls that weren't strikeouts. Sorry. Um, In 2021, it's 4.45%. In 2019, it was 4.23%. In 2018, it was 4.09%. In 2017, it was 3.62%. And in 2016, it was 3.61%. One that fits in with uh, the timetable that we've been talking about. If the spring training, uh, you know, the baseball lags in spring training. We didn't see a spring training home run jump until 2018. There is, at least based on this, there's there's no evidence that the uh, baseball is carrying less here based on how often home runs are being hit so far. Maybe that will change as we move forward, but uh, at least based on this extremely rudimentary, you know, statistical analysis, I would say that the spring training balls are not different so far.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, uh, or, or if they are different, there's no effect, but they're probably yeah, just not different.
3: Yeah. My assumption would be that they're not different, which means we won't know until, I mean, we'll know the first few days we'll have enough data points after like four or five total games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause we'll have several hundred batted balls by that point. Uh, but at least right now we don't know what the effect will be. My assumption is we'll see, 3 to 5% reduction in home runs, primarily t- tilted towards players who don't hit the ball as hard. Um, but that's just a guess.
0: Okay, so let's update people on that the further that we go into spring training because obviously we'll have more data uh for every preceding week here as we lead up to the season. Rankings debates! It only took us 40 minutes to get here, but uh let's <laughs> spend the rest of the show talking about them. We'll mix and match some Roto and some head-to-head points rankings. And of course, you could find these... Rankings on the site, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball slash rankings. That's it. Ends there. Uh, okay, so let's start off uh, Let's start off with the head-to-head points one. And up at the top, starting pitchers, someone that Chris is pretty excited about, and I feel like you have made this known, but Brandon Woodruff, who you have ranked as your 11th starting pitcher, Chris, just behind Clayton Kershaw and just ahead of Lance Lynn. Wow, I did not realize you have Lance Lynn that high. So that is interesting as well. Uh, But we'll stick with Brandon Woodruff here. In Uh, points. Scott has uh, Brandon Woodruff five spots behind here at uh, SP16. So, Chris, you will go first and explain why you were excited about Brandon Woodruff. Uh, He's really
3: good. He throws hard. He gets a lot of whiffs. He gets a lot of strikeouts. And the concern that I had about him last season, the reason I was a little skeptical of his 2019 breakout, was he is bucking the trend of throwing fewer fastballs. This is a league-wide trend that has been going on for a long time. Last season, there were fewer fastballs thrown or a lower rate of fastballs were thrown than ever before, at least in the pitch uh, FX and stack era. He throws a lot of fastballs, but he gets a lot of whiffs with his fastball. And last season, he upped his spin rate about 200 RPMs on average for his fastball, which is a big deal when we're talking about one, any fastball, but especially one that, th- you know, is thrown 96, 97 miles per hour. It just, uh, spin rate is positively correlated with whiff rate for fastballs. And he had, it's like a 29% whiff rate or something on his four seam fastball last season. That makes me think that his, uh, his strikeout rate is more sustainable. He can be an elite strikeout guy, even without, you know, elite breaking pitches. And that makes his whole profile look a lot more sustainable. So I, um, I like Brandon Woodruff a lot. He's going to pitch consistently deep into games, at least based on what we've seen over the last two seasons. Um, You know, for me, part of it is that, you know, my number 10 pitcher and my number 16 pitcher are separated by 10 spots in the ranks. Um, So I've got seven pitchers in that uh, 10 spot radius. Um, But I just also really like Brandon Woodruff. I think he's really good. And I don't Mm -hmm. think Scott dislikes him.
1: No, yeah. no. When I made out these rankings initially, which was like in October or something, so I was, you know, didn't, didn't have anything to compare them to. Um, I, I presumed I was going to be one of the higher ones on Woodruff. And in, I will move him up one spot ahead of Carlos Carrasco. Been meaning to do that. But I, I put Woodruff on the right side of the, I call it the Lance Lynn line, where basically everybody above the Lance Lynn line I expect to pitch deep into games with great ratios and everybody below it you know, they're falling short in one of those areas or the other. So Woodruff's on the right side of that. It's really not a talent question. The reason why he's toward the bottom end of that is because he hasn't thrown more than like 120 innings in a season since, yeah. since 2016, I think, because of injuries. Um, and again, it's more important to me that he's going deep into games, but it it does seem possible that at some point they'll have to pull back on his, uh, on him, not so much start to start, but maybe like, a phantom idol, yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, so you know, just a mild concern there. But I, I love, I love Brandon Woodruff too.
0: Okay, yeah. So just a slight difference there in the rankings, a- and just ahead of Woodruff for he has Zach Gallen, Kent Amida, Walker Bueller, and uh, Jack Flaherty there in head-to-head points leagues. But he still likes him. Uh, let's let's do one of these. Let's do one of these roto ones, and let's start with. You know, Scott, I haven't really heard why you, you, you don't like Pablo Lopez. Um, even though I, I'm pretty excited about him, and it sounds I, I think Chris is as well, but it seems like he Pablo Lopez did everything last year that should warrant more excitement from you. A swinging strike rate goes up, very solid ERA, pretty good command, solid strikeouts as well. Uh, yet, Scott, you have Pablo Lopez 48th in your starting pitcher ranks in Roto, and Chris has him all the way
1: up at 36. So. Why are you a little bit lower on Pablo Lopez, Scott? I think he's just a mid-class pitcher, and I, I there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'd, I'd take him as my number five guy, sure. His swinging strike rate went up um, to a pretty good level, but, you know, just a little more than a strikeout per inning. His XFIP, 373. You know, nothing, nothing special. I think he pitches fairly deep into games, but I, I just don't know that he has the potential to ascend to be like a real high-end option. And it might depend on his ability to develop a breaking ball this spring. It's something he's been working on, but considering he doesn't even have a name for the breaking ball yet, whether it's a slider (laughs) or a curveball, I'm not sure. I'm not willing to trust it's going to be an actual weapon for him. But it is something he's working on, and and that could be a game-changer. As things stand now, I I just think there's a limit to... I, I look at his numbers and see limited ceiling there.
0: Yeah, Pablo Lopez could definitely benefit from using some type of breaking pitch. Last year, he threw his cutter eight percent of the time. He threw his curveball seven percent of the time, uh, but really relied heavily on his four seam and his sinker and a changeup, which is very good. It's it's a it's a, it's an awesome changeup. I have compared yeah. it to a, a Luis Castillo light type cha- type changeup, but at least even Castillo has a slider to change you know to change things up for opposing batters. Uh, Pablo Lopez. Doesn't have that pitch as of now. You know, Pablo Lopez just kind of gives me these Jose Barrios vibes. He hasn't done it for as long as Barrios, yeah. but if he if he gives you a you know a three seven five three eight ERA and a one point two zero WHIP with a strikeout per inning, that's basically uh-huh. Jose Barrios, and you're getting him fifty picks,
1: right. forty picks no, later than Barrios. That's a solid comp. I, I just think there's limit to Jose Barrios' upside too.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And,
1: you know, I, I, I rank Barrios higher because he's a guy we've seen go eight innings with some frequency the past few years. And obviously, we haven't seen that from Lopez yet. But I, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think that's a fine comp for what Lopez could be.
3: Sure. I think the difference is that, play, is that workload. You know, Barrios is, you know, when I said there are eight or ten guys who could conceivably possibly throw 200 innings this season. It might be more than that. I haven't actually gone through, but Barrios is in that mix. He's Mm -hmm. thrown 192 and 200 innings uh, in 2018 and 2019. If he gets to 200 innings this season, it wouldn't shock. I don't think there's any way Pablo Lopez gets there. He only threw more than... uh, He only pitched more than six innings or
1: pitched six full innings or more four times last season. I should clarify... We've seen Barrios work into the eighth inning with regularity. Yeah. He hasn't actually made it a full innings that eight innings that often. Yeah. Uh, let's go back over to head-to-head points. And
0: look, if you don't know why Scott likes Cabrian Hayes at this point, then you probably haven't listened to any of our podcasts in the offseason. <laughs> so we'll start off with Chris. Chris, I don't know if you, uh, you know this, but you, you have Cabrian Hayes down at 22 in your third-base ranks in head-to-head points leagues. Are you actually down on him, or is it just a product of the third-base position?
3: Well, it... I I would say if you don't know why I'm skeptical, more skeptical of Cabrian Hayes than Scott is, you haven't been listening to the podcast lately. I am. That's not. I don't know if that came off as a shot against Scott. Uh, No, it's just to say that I am more skeptical than Scott and more skeptical than I, I think most people when it comes to the 2020 breakouts, especially when we're talking about guys who saw a significant jump in production like Brian Hayes did. Obviously we'd never seen him at the major league level before, but he played at a much higher level than he ever had in the minors. And so, um, for me, it's just a little bit of a, you know, let's see you do it again
1: kind of thing. Um, so, so I understand why you would rank guys like Josh Donaldson ahead of him. Uh, are you going to say you Kyle Seeger? Is that the one? Gio Urshela. Yeah, I mean, the ones I... That's I, the one that stands to, out. To, to get me. him as far down as 22nd, it means you have to yeah. put him behind like Eduardo Escobar and Kyle Seeger and Brian Anderson. I, I know you're high on Brian Anderson, but I, I think most people would look at those guys, particularly from a head-to-head standpoint, where um, uh, you don't go that deep into the draft pool and say those are Jags, while uh, Brian Hayes has this you know, potential to explode and become something more than that.
3: I think that's fair. I, I think it's underselling Brian Anderson a little bit. Um, I think he's potentially more than a Jag. He's got better batted ball data than I think he gets credit for. His hard hit rate has been consistently above average. Uh, his barrel rate has consistently been, uh, you know, a quite a few points above average over the last couple of seasons. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if we got a 30 homer season from Brian Anderson this season where, and you know, it's all relative, but he does play in a better lineup. Um, there should be more counting stats available for him. So uh I think I do have Cabrian Hayes uh higher than that in Roto at third base. Yeah, I, th- um, I think you I had him. I would suspect so.
1: Yeah.
0: I think you had him 17th in Roto. So yeah. about five spots higher uh, than than in, in head-to-head points. Imagine I having could, a worse. I list. could
3: move him up. You know, that's that's one of those ones that I'm I'm you know, once you get past like 170, it's it's all kind of
0: fungible. Imagine having a worse lineup than the Marlins. You you just said Brian Anderson's in a better lineup <laughs> than Cabrian Hayes. And, and it's factual. It's just, uh, I, I just, mean, I just imagine that. It's name three pirates. Go. <laughs> Gregory Polanco. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob Stallings. Yeah. Are we sure those are real people?
1: <laughs> in, in a standard size mixed league draft. It's very likely just one pirate is being drafted. Hey, it's maybe Richard Rodriguez, the closer, but yeah. that's it. I mean, Mitch Keller would be next, maybe, and in, in some of the deeper drafts we've do, we've seen Gregory Polanco taken. But yeah, it's it's bad. Yeah.
0: You don't you don't want Opening Day starter Stephen Brault on your team? How dare you, Scott? Uh, let's <laughs> let's jump over to Roto and uh, someone who I, I thought you guys both liked based on the way you talked about him in our pitching preview, but Charlie Morton. Chris has him as his SP 29 and Scott, you have him as your SP 38 in Roto. So why does he fall out of that top 35? Right, Scott, I think it ends with Dylan Bundy where you want five of those top 35. Why is Charlie Morton not in inside of that?
1: Well, I mean, he didn't have a good year last year and I have pointed out that, um, you know, after he spent some time on the IEL with a shoulder injury, he came back, um, throwing harder and his numbers regular season from that point in the regular season through the playoffs were actually pretty good. It was actually a lot like uh, prior to the shoulder injury. Uh, So I I was just, I, I really wanted to see how he looked this spring and so far he's earned rave reviews. He looks really good. So I'm, I'm due to move him up some. But I like... Okay, so he needs to go ahead of Patrick Corbin, who's not throwing his... He, his velocity's still down this spring. And yeah. I wanted to see what he'd do too. Not rave reviews so far, at least me being the reviewer. So um I'll move him ahead of Patrick Corbin. But then beyond that, you get to like Lance McCullers, Jesus Lizardo, Sixto Sant. These are really good pitchers, I think. I, I don't know. I don't know. Why do you have him ahead of those guys, Chris?
3: In particular, like looking at McCullers... I think the best version of Patrick or uh, Charlie Morton is better than the best version of Lance McCullers. The best version of Lance McCullers.
1: I don't think we've seen the best version of Lance McCullers yet to be clear. He's he's on my breakout list for this year.
3: That's fair. Um, He's just consistently been, you know, a relatively high ERA guy, Um, you know, not four plus, but usually in the high threes. Um, I I would guess if we saw the best versions of both of them, based on what we've seen so far, at least Charlie Morton would be better in.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean at Charlie least three and, three and probably four of the categories. Charlie Morton was a Cy Young contender in 2019. Yeah, so, yeah he was a top 12. He starting was very, very old, and year, he had a. He had, he's very old, and he had a. a uh, he was known for being brittle before that year. That was really the one year yeah. where he ramped up his workload like an ace, and then he had shoulder problems the next year. So. That factors into thinking too. I mean, McCullough's no model of health himself, right? Um, yeah. I don't know. I need to think about that some more. I could see moving McCullers. I mean, I'm sorry. I could see moving Morton up as high as like 30. I can't see him moving him ahead of Chris Paddock. Let's yes. say
0: that that was the exactly the name I was looking at. Scott. He's one spot
3: ahead of Chris Paddock for me in the overall ranking.
0: Boo, <laughs> boo, Chris.
3: I just. Boo. I also think. Chris Paddock is still a curveball away from being the best version of himself. And the version that we saw in 2019, it's not shocking that he was as that he wasn't as good in 2020. I didn't think he would be as bad as he was, but yeah. you know, the peripherals in 2019 did not support uh the borderline
1: ace production or the way he was being drafted. So but it but um, it helps to know he's got the spin rate on his fastball way up and he looked into that this offseason. Right. Yeah. So uh, I, I have a lot of hope for a Chris Paddock bounce back. I do too. And yet yeah. I do think yeah I do think he overperformed a little in 2019. Yeah. Um, but it, it
3: is funny that Scott has I I'm nine spots higher in the starting pitching ranks on Morton, and I'm nine spots higher in the overall ranks than Scott is. <laughs> yes. Which just shows you the distribution of hitters and pitchers in our respective yeah. ranks.
0: Right. One of those names that you brought up, Scott, was Gary Sanchez. You took him in your top word draft, and you have him fourth in your catcher rankings in head-to-head points. Chris, you have him all the way down at number 12 in your catcher ranks. Uh, Chris, we will start with you. Why so low on El Gary?
3: I mean, you know, all of it, everything, you know, the the way his career has gone, uh, I think is a pretty good argument. Head-to-head points is not his best format, and this is another situation where the difference between number twelve and number seven at catcher for me is very slim in head-to-head points leagues. But um, I think there are legitimate issues with his swing, and it's not the kind of thing where if I see him have a good couple of weeks in the spring, it's going to change how I view it because you know he's a he's a heavily timing-based batter. You know he's got a big leg kick. He's got, um, you know, a lot of moving parts, and that's how he generates so much power. And he is one of the elite power hitters in baseball, not just at the catcher position. On a per plate appearance basis, he's you know as good as just about anyone. But
1: um, I, I don't I don't know where this idea though that oh man his career has been like in twenty. 19, he was the second best catcher in fantasy points per game. In 2017, he was the best catcher in fantasy points per game. Uh, I did skip 2018. It was another bad year. But even right, that, like, no, it, it, no, was, it, was bad. I, it was bad relative to the majority of his career. But it's not like he was not a starting caliber catcher in head-to-head points leagues. It looks like he had... Yeah, even in 2018, when he hit 186, his power production was so good that he was the third best catcher in head-to-head points per game. I I think I think he's fine for this format.
3: Okay, that's better than I gave him credit for then. Um, and I wasn't saying his career's been bad. It's just been he's it been is. extremely inconsistent and he's had a lot of trouble staying healthy. Uh, he's never played more than 122 games. Yes, he's a catcher, so there's a relatively high ceiling, but even that 2017 season, I'm pretty sure there was a an IL stint mixed in there at some point. Um, it's it's more like if I move Gary Sanchez up to seventh and you know swapped him with Austin Nola, I could do that. I don't feel super strongly about it. It's more in a head to head points league, I just I'm not going to make Gary Sanchez a, a big priority. Um yeah. and if I
1: miss out on on him this year as a result of that, I'm okay with that. But it it is like what what I see from him this spring where he doesn't look helpless at the plate he's hitting a, he's hitting bombs again um you know that was if not for that i wouldn't have taken him in the 13th round of Tau wars now i think chris would have even taken him in the 13th round of a 15 team yeah. league right so it was yeah that's fine it was as much the value i liked there as the spring performance but it was it was the intersection of those two factors as yeah, opposed I, to just one on its own
3: and the thing i always struggle with with the like he's looked good in the spring so far is I guarantee we could find a seven game stretch last season where he had four strikeouts and three home runs or something similar to that. so it's just, like I said before, it's not the kind of thing given how out of whack he's gotten at various points in his, in his career where, Oh, he's had a two good two weeks. I feel confident in him him moving forward. I think uh, the inconsistency is part of the package until he proves otherwise.
0: He's also in the best shape of his life, Chris. Which I don't know. I don't know that you've taken that into your
1: your. That's rankings. fair. I, I I'm have not taking that game into account. account. I'm looking at the game log. I don't think there was a seven-game or a four-game stretch where he's what was it? A seven-game stretch where he times? struck out just four times that doesn't appear so. There was a seven-game stretch where he struck out six times. Let yeah. Me, but yeah, he'd, he'd still hit, hit ten home runs. So, but the strikeout rate was just absurd for him last year. It was it was crazy.
0: And if you want some top-notch fantasy analysis every odd year Gary Sanchez has been awesome so just saying just saying he had
3: three different seven game stretches last year with
0: five strikeouts okay so that's progress that Chris this is what we're looking for in the spring we're looking for progress and that's what we've gotten how did you find that so quickly fan graphs rolling game logs baby uh, I'd, I'm telling experiment you Chris, more with that. I guess Chris is a Chris is a wizard. All right. We only have time for one more. So among these roto discrepancies, who do you guys want to talk about most? Trent Grisham, Victor Robles, James Karen and Rafael Montero.
3: Uh, I don't think the reliever ones matter all that
1: much. <laughs> Scott and I have I'm really our... curious why you have Montero so high, but that's, that's fine. Probably, probably, uh, probably Grisham, right? I think Grisham we've talked a lot about
3: Grisham I've said my Grisham thing a lot um but we can do it again What was the other what was
1: the other non-reliever one Victor Robles Victor Robles uh, Scott hates Victor Robles it's man It's just boring but that's fine. We'll you talk about Victor Robles.
3: <laughs> All right so Vic- I think they might be very similar players this season. I think <sighs> Victor Robles has a higher <sighs> stolen base ceiling and that's what we're very interested in so in 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 2020
1: One. I mean, Grisham looks like a thirty steel guy himself. Uh, Maybe, maybe Robles could be a forty steel guy, but we've never seen that from him. I I have. I have real
3: concerns about how each of those guys, um, Victor Robles and Trent Grisham, how their bats are going to play. And I have Trent Grisham higher than Victor Robles, but um, as you should. (laughs) There, yes, there are like Victor or Trent Grisham. I'm not convinced he can hit lefties at, a, at, at, a, at an adequate enough level to uh, not face you know either being moved down in the lineup or possibly even being platooned. That is a team that has a ton of capable players that they could swap in and out of the lineup. Um, so I think there's some risk there. And I, it seems like Trent Grisham is one of those players for whom a lot of people are treating it as if 2020 was the first time we saw him in the majors and not roughly half of his major league career so far. Uh, He played 51 games in 2019. He hit six home runs, had one stolen base. That that seems to be a Brewers thing. Uh, But he has 738 OPS. He hit 231. I think there is more risk in Trent Grisham being like a 240 hitter with 15 home runs than... The consensus seems to give him uh, credit for. He had a, I mean, if a, he's high walking field a lot and
1: stealing thirty bases. I, I don't know that that's. A I disaster. don't think thirty steals
3: is going to happen.
1: Um, oh, 25. I mean, yeah, he was he on a twenty-five steal
3: pace last yeah. year, but that was with only one caught stealing.
1: I, I, I would point out too, like you, you complain about the weak contact for Trinkrish, and like you do for Kevin Biggio. Kevin Biggio's expected stats because of his quality contact were microscopic. I mean, he looks like a yeah. slap-hitting nothing. But Grisham, as good as he was last year, he actually underperformed his expected stats. He underperformed his expected batting average. He underperformed bit, his yeah. expected slug. Um, I'm not saying the expected stats are the end-all be-all, but I'm saying the quality of contact he made last year, according to StatCast, was good enough to earn him even better numbers than he actually had. Um, so, I, that's that's a big reason why I don't share your concerns. And you know, obviously, he dominated, and like his minor league stats were awesome. Grisham's were. Uh, so I, that, I do think yes was and no. Too. I think it was dominated. He
3: dominated, mostly, a, he dominated well, the a Triple AAA for thirty four. Most recent, yeah, yeah. Uh, double A, he had a seven sixty eight OPS. Yeah, I think I don't, he's going to get on base. A ton. I,
1: I, I don't usually look at full minor league career stats because obviously players are changing throughout their minor league career. But that's that's fair. It is it is factual.
3: It just I, the case for him. He took this big leap in 2019 in the minors and then in the majors, he wasn't that great. Okay, maybe he was yeah. acclimating. He took a, another right. leap in 2020. I, that's all possible. I think there are enough red flags and I, I'm not saying I don't like him. I have him as a top 30 outfielder. That's okay. really high. It's just, yeah. um, I mean, that, that, I have enough questions about whether he's, one, I just don't think he's going to hit for batting average. I think he's going to be, Uh, like a 240 to 250 guy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not counting on him being an elite stolen base guy. Um, My expectation
1: is more like 15 steals. It's very fast and the Padres love to run. And he's going to get on base a lot because of those walks. Whether he hits well or not, he's going to get on base a lot.
0: And he's Um, he's leading off for one of the best lineups in baseball. So... We if don't he, know if he's leading
3: off. I will if if we get a guarantee that he's going to be leading off
0: every day, I will move him up because that is he's going to at least lead off against righties, wouldn't you agree, Chris? He did so last he, year. Why wouldn't he this year? Probably. Yeah, I would
3: assume so. But that's still you know only sixty-five to seventy percent of the games. And if he's batting eighth against lefties, or if he's losing playing time against lefties, it's not that I don't see the upside that everyone else does because I do. Uh, it's that there is more downside than, like, we're drafting him like 70th overall right now.
0: I agree that's that's a lot. Some people might not be factoring in the downside because I see what you're saying with the the infield fly ball rate in particular is something that I don't like about him. 16% last year, that was pretty high. Um, But everything, like, he hits a lot of line drives. He's been adequate against lefties so far in his career. And and even if it's only against right-handed pitching, if he's leading off... 65% Sixty five percent of the time for the Padres lineup and and thirty five percent of the time he's betting eighth, he's still going to score ninety plus runs, maybe even one hundred yeah. plus. I, I've made this comparison before with Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker might bat seventh for the Astros. I, like he can easily move up. I realize that, but I just don't see a huge difference between Kyle Tucker and Trent Grisham. And people have so much more confidence in I Tucker think than Kyle Tucker Kyle
1: Tucker's a much better hitter.
2: He's based, certainly based a better on, power. Based on hitter, what I would them. say.
1: Um, I do want to address Robles much better because I do need to move Robles up if he's for sure batting leadoff Victor Robles for the Nationals as it it seems to be trending that way. But I don't I don't get this assumption that he's suddenly going to be a transformed player. I know I know obviously he had the great pro- prospect pedigree, but he hasn't looked like a good hitter in the majors. He looked like an especially bad hitter last year. Small sample, whatever. Um, been striking out a lot this spring. So I'm not really seeing transformation having happened here. Like even if he starts out in the leadoff spot, I'm not confident he's going to keep it. So I, I get him as like a steals play. Uh, but to me, there's not a huge difference between him and like Layoti Tavares, if that's all you're drafting him for.
3: Um, I think part of it is his stolen base attempt pace while batting first or second mm-hmm. in his career I think it's I wrote this down the other day. It's like 45 or 50. That can't per, be a very uh, large 150. Sample. It's uh it's like 40 something games.
1: Is that a large Sorry. sample? I don't know. <laughs> it sound like a large sample um, to me.
0: Uh for Victor Robles's career, he has 52
3: games batting either first or second. He has 17 steals in those 52 games. Correct.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So so I mean, again, that I is like, like a, a if, he, like if he hits well enough to keep the leadoff spot and obviously that pace becomes the new standard for him. All right. I guess he's another Adalberto Mondesi. Um,
3: yeah, I don't think I, he's I an Adalberto
1: Mondesi. I have no confidence in that. Like he still does not, I still have no evidence he's a good hitter except for oh. he was a big prospect once upon a time.
3: Yeah. yeah, I'm not counting on him being a good hitter. I, I think his career line 250, 320, 407. I think that's perfectly attainable. And if they're okay with that from the leadoff spot, uh, you know he could be a 35 steal guy. And that's the biggest thing for me. It's just with how much we're pushing steals up, give me the guy who legitimately does have 30-plus stolen base potential. I don't think Trent Grisham does. But well, I, Tavares, have, very well I have Trent Grisham ranked,
1: ranked higher. Comparison.
3: Yeah, sure. I do have Trent Grisham ranked higher. Okay. Yeah. But I But neither is as high as Byron
0: Bucks oh my god that's a topic for another day <laughs> i think chris has him all the way up at like sp uh outfielder 20 in roto so i appreciate the consistency there chris uh the last thing i will say put a bow on all this is that I, I and this comes from someone who likes grisham i do think that we're probably not factoring in his downside enough into his average draft position and, and i think it's the complete opposite for, for victor robles if he's leading off of the nationals i don't think that we're factoring in his upside enough based on where he's being drafted right now. We're going to wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank Bigelow for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow with a live head-to-head points mock draft. Bye-bye. Cue Just, Just drop. Click on
3: Gallow, Gallow. Gallow. Just